Welcome back, everyone, to Stay in Your Lane. I'm your host, John Maley. Uh, podcast is brought to you by Triple T Transport. Got two of my faves on today. I have a lot of favorites, but Thomas Moore, everyone, uh, founder of Auto Scheduler. Uh, got, what, three companies uh, going now, uh, Thomas. Um, we got uh, subject matter for today is going to be, I think, near and dear to everyone's heart in our transportation industry, which is going to be what's going to happen with diesel fuel prices for 2024. I saw in September they were projected to be just over $4 for the year average and supposed to be some reprieve from 23 into 24, but uh, don't know if I buy that. And I don't know that I buy it either. I'm talking with people who are in the know. They're telling me, look, if you want to buy diesel and get futures, buy them now, said because they think uh, the future is looking like this is this is the bottom of the market and we'll be seeing nothing but an uptick going forward. You know, as with all predictions, um, you never can be quite sure that they're going to be right. If, if there are a lot of people gambling on both sides of the the equation, but overall, you can see a potential for the whole price of oil and the underlying uh, uh, crude itself going up. Joe, what do you got to say? Uh, I would agree. I think uh, I think the, the indicators are out there. I believe that, uh, you know, hopefully we don't have a black swan event or anything, but, uh, you know, what's going on in the Middle East, the uh, the uh, what's what's going on in this country with uh, lack of, uh, you know, lack of people wanting to drill oil and so I think you got a few things going on. So I, I could see it going up also. Mm-hmm. Well, let me let me pick up on a couple of those things, Joe. Um, the first is one of the the principal things that constrain oil prices or manage oil prices is the fact that the Saudis have got an extensive social welfare program. They have to fund that, and they need oil to be a good high price and if they see the oil price sliding uh, they don't want to have political unrest in their own country so they're going to do their best to keep that oil price up and if you've looked at the underlying crude price i mean sometimes it dips just down below 70 but it's always coming back up above 70 it's always you know that that 70 seems to be the resistance level uh to use a, a stock market phrase and, and if we can keep things moving further north, um, you know, the, the Saudis will be very, very happy. In terms of drilling for oil, one of the, the most uh, productive areas is the whole Texas shale. And, and one of the, the things that I didn't know about until I spoke with an expert uh, was that not only do we have one layer of shale, they've found there's a second layer of shale about another thousand feet below that and that second layer of uh, layer of shale also contains oil and gas which are, you know r- really it's 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 a great finding from their perspective so you've got the wolf camp shale you've got the sprayberry shale and you've got the barnett shale all pretty much in the in, in the same general area in texas and they're layered one upon the uh, top by the other so that has a has a opportunity and the other thing that's happening, and, and everyone uses that concept of rig count, you know, how many rigs are going, and therefore, right. you know, that tells you how much we're drilling. Well, it used to. 
Today, we use the same rig to drill multiple holes. And the way they're doing it is because they're doing a lot of horizontal drilling. And, you know, five years ago, they were maybe going one mile horizontally. Now they're going three miles horizontally. And they go horizontally north, and then they go horizontally south. Then they move the rig just by skidding it a few feet and, again, running a new set of holes north and south. Interesting approach to, to, to managing this, but, but you know, think about the efficiency of, of moving a rig. It's much easier to move it you know, feet rather than miles, and that's one of the things that, that has basically driven, uh, I'll say, rig count to be less important. And the last point in, in, in this whole area is that these drillers need oil to be north of 60 bucks a barrel. Okay? And 60 bucks a barrel is, is at, below that it starts to get a little difficult for them to finance putting holes in the ground. So they've got an incentive also not to drill too much to keep oil, I'll, I'll call it, on that plateau or above that plateau. So a lot of different things going on in the marketplace, really a, um, uh, an interesting set of, of uh, discussions being had. But there's, there are a couple of other areas you might want to talk about. N number one is, you know, how good is West Texas Intermediate, which is the oil that we're producing today, uh, at producing diesel? And, and the answer is, it's, it's okay. It's not as good as some of the sour crudes and, and our refineries have been set up for sour crudes. But it's also um, not being able to be moved as much up to, for example, the Northeast because of constraints on two things. One, pipelines. And number two, uh, the Jones Act of 1920. Okay? And that Jones Act of 1920 prevents boats moving product from... Know, Texas up to the Northeast, unless them those those boats were built in in the United States, and have crews that are U.S. based crews. So you say, oh, we've got this this pernicious, um, you know, America First program, which is adding cost to oil, and as a result, those you know refineries in the Northeast have to to bring that oil in from from overseas. At a time when we're exporting oil and, and liquefied gas out of Texas, we can't send it to, uh, for example, Boston when they run short on gas. So they're buying liquid gas from Kuwait because they simply can't find a, a Jones Act uh, ship that will, in fact, work in that environment. So I've said a lot there. Sorry, John, let me let you get back to, to, to asking questions. Well, no, I mean, I think all of those things are, are vital. They're, they're all, I would say, adding some um, volatility to the picture. Now, this is the United States. And in, in 104 years, or 100 years or so since the Jones Act, we haven't been able to build a ship in the United States and staff it with U.S. workers and take oil to the Northeast. Is that basically what you've said? Um, nobody has found the economics viable to do that, correct. That's interesting. And, and you know, if you, you look at the, the impact of the Jones Act, 
where's one of the most expensive places you can ship containers? Hawaii. It's cheaper to ship a container to China and back to Hawaii than it is just to ship it directly to Hawaii. Right. The only thing coming off of Hawaii is garbage, trash, waste. Yeah, but it's still cheaper because of, of again, the Jones Act. The same is true in going to Puerto Rico, right? Right. Uh, these transportation rates are artificially jacked up by this Jones Act. Uh, there's huge, huge economies to be had if we just allow foreign-built ships and foreign crews to move product among yeah. our domestic ports. Yeah, I, I don't want to date myself, but when I first got into this business, there used to be movements from the port of New York down to the port of Houston and vice versa. Of uh, We used to bring up plastic pellets from Houston up to uh, New York for Solonese. And at the same time, and then, it, then there used to be, I mean, I can't, this is hard to believe, but there used to be movements from Virginia through the Panama Canal to the West Coast. Again, on you, at the time they were on U.S. boats, but the economics surely did not work and they, they, didn't, they didn't last too long into the, I got into the 80s, so I was probably in the 70s. Wow. So Tom is absolutely correct. I mean, the, economics are not there for U.S. flagships and U.S. flagships that are crewed by U.S. citizens. Uh, economics don't seem to work at all. The other constraint we see is the number of refineries. Now, are refineries, uh, have they become a large percentage more efficient like the drilling wells? Who wants to build a refinery, right? It's right. hugely expensive. We're talking billions. It is hugely, um, I call it risky, given hey, we're down on fossil fuels. We don't want to have any more fossil fuels. Therefore, da 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 da. Right. Um, and now you you say to, to you know business people, hey, let's let's invest in in expanding a current refinery, and they go, well, you know, uh, there's there's, a, there's an expense to doing that. Now, having said that, Exxon just increased um one of their their refineries down in the, the texas area uh by i think three hundred thousand barrels uh, a day which is which is a huge number okay it's right. a huge number well i think i would agree with tom i mean uh i, I think it's been since the 1940s or 1950s since they they built a even a small refinery on the west coast i mean they just it's just the economics are just not there um i mean we used to bring up a lot of a lot of oil used to come up from Venezuela and from uh, mm -hmm. from that area, and I, I think I believe one of those refineries either closed or was seriously cut back. So I mean, there's there's a lot of negatives about uh, refining fuel, and to Tom's point, it's you know guys say it's cheaper. Let's bring it in from Europe. Let's bring it in from uh, from other markets. You know, we talk about things that will irritate or cause you know diesel prices to go up. Uh, when you make gasoline, diesel's a byproduct, or vice versa. When you make diesel, gasoline's a byproduct. Correct? Yeah, not not quite. Um, when you're taking crude, uh, and depending on the, the the type of crude, right? Type of crude, etc. But and the the way the refinery is configured, you have the ability to kind of adjust some dials. So say, hey, I want more gasoline, or I want more diesel. You, you can make those things happen because essentially what you're doing is 
is taking a a, a liquid and and distilling it into different pieces and then taking some of those pieces and using what's called a cat cracker catalytic cracker to break more complex hydrocarbons down to simpler hydrocarbons this has been extensively modeled over the years i mean when i was a student we were we were studying what we called refinery models, which were large linear programs that looked at at um, how you ran a refinery and how you managed it. And, and you, know, you, you managed it to maximize return, and that return might change based on the relative price of diesel versus gasoline or butane versus uh, some of the, the intermediate liquids. So you've got a, a, a huge variety of things that come out of out of a refinery, uh, all the way down to wax that goes into candles, right? And these, you know, wax is a very important byproduct of, of refining. Absolutely. You know, we, we use Vaseline, to use the commercial name, petroleum jelly. Where does that oh. come from? Well, refining. Um, so you, you've got a number of things that are outputs from that one barrel of crude and the interesting thing that you should also know is that when you when you crack a barrel of crude you actually expand the volume of that so you put in essentially 100 percent, you come out with uh, more than 100 percent at the other end right and and, and that's that, that's truly mind-boggling frankly uh but but fundamentally you can determine what you want based on on you know some optimization criteria i want more gas i want more diesel okay boom i make those adjustments to the dials away we go so realistically if diesel is going to go up because it looks like now's the time to buy for everybody listening diesel's going to go up anticipate and plan for it expect it tires are going to go up windshield wiper blades are going to go up anything that is manufactured from that barrel is going to get more expensive for the Americans. Continue watching on the next episode of the Stay In Your Lane podcast.